Good evening. The fighting in Gaza increases with a report from the embattled Gaza City. We have that here on the news. Uh, General, a general of the Cyber Command speaks about the increasing threats of cyber attacks on America. And we hear from Stephen Donziger, the environmental attorney on trial in New York. We hear from his lawyer, Ron Kuby. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo, and this is the news for Friday, May 14th, 2021. As the war between Israel and Palestinians in the Gaza Strip lit up the skies and sent civilians running for cover for a fifth straight night on Friday, diplomats stepped up efforts to try and end the violence. The bombing and destruction of a 14-story building in Gaza City has been shown many times in the media the last few days, iconic of the continuing attacks. Gazans marked a grim Eid al-Fatir feast, marking the end of the holy month of Ramadan, and Israel began a holiday weekend with no signs of peace. Casualties spread, with Palestinians reporting 11 killed in the West Bank amid clashes between protesters and Israeli security forces. As the Israeli military said, uh, more than 2,000 rockets have been fired from Gaza into Israel. Palestinian medical officials say at least 126 people have been killed in Gaza since Monday, including 31 children and 20 women and 950 others wounded. Among eight dead in Israel were a soldier patrolling the Gaza border and six Israeli civilians, including two children. In today's fighting, Israel launched day-long attacks to destroy what it said were several miles of tunnels. The attacks used 160 aircraft, as well as tanks and artillery firing from outside the Gaza Strip. There have also been continuing clashes between Jews and Israel's minority Arab community in mixed cities across Israel. The Israeli police say they had arrested at least 23 people over the unrest. The Israeli army said late on Friday that three rockets had been fired from Syria at the Israeli-controlled Golan Heights. White House spokesperson Jen Psaki said Washington was focused on leveraging U.S. relationships in the region to end the crisis diplomatically, adding that Israel had a right to self-defense. What's happening on the ground, the loss of life, the loss of children's lives, the loss of families, family members' lives, whether it's Palestinian lives or Israeli lives, is incredibly tragic. It's horrific to watch. That is certainly why our focus is on de-escalating what, we're, what is happening on the ground. That's, his, that's our human reaction to what we're seeing. As the president conveyed in his statement, Israel has the right to self-defense. Our focus remains on continuing to use every lever at our disposal to de-escalate. White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki, WBAI, was on the phone today with Palestinians in Gaza. We spoke with Rafat Al-Arir, an English professor who authored a New York Times article on Thursday about the effects of the attacks on on children in Gaza City. He says the last few nights have been a living hell and the Israeli bombing attacks show no signs of letting up. What's happening in Gaza right now is that Israel is escalating. Every day we see, we say this is the worst day of our lives. This is the, the worst night of our lives. But then the second day comes and Israel brings even more power, more death and more destruction upon our heads. Last night of all the nights, the previous nights, 
Israel opened hellfire on Palestinians all over the Gaza Strip, in Rafah and Khan Yunis, in, in the Middle Area, in Gaza, in the North, in Beit Hanun. At the same time, we would be hearing the bombs. If the bomb is not falling a few hundred meters away from where we live, there will be a bomb a few miles away that would be shaking a building. And something evil about the timing, about how Israel does what it does, the killing and the destruction. And when it does that, it just before the kids want to go to sleep, to be tucked, to be told their bedtime stories, the bombing starts. And then this brings horror and terror to the kids and they start screaming and weeping and crying. Last night was straight out of Dante's Inferno or maybe somebody discovered a new cycle of, of hell. Tell us about the children and, and how you explain this to the children and how are the children taking this? Oh, this is, uh, it can't be described by words. It's, it, the worst thing is that Israel is lying to the world, saying that this is a war against Hamas and against militants in the Gaza Strip, but this is totally wrong. Israel is waging a war against everybody, the kids before the adults, the sick before the health, the women before the men, the civilians before the armed people. And the kids are hit hard because they are oblivious. They don't know. They are naive. All they can see and hear is the bombing. All they can feel is the horror, the screams, the shouts. Three days ago, the bombing took place only a couple of hundred meters from where I live in one of the crowded places in Gaza City. And we literally felt that Israel was bombing high building each time it drops an American-made missile. People went out to the streets, women screaming, children crying, unable to express themselves except in fear every time. Even my little kid just now, before you called me, somebody slammed the door a little bit harder and she just thought this was an Israeli airstrike. The trauma Israel, the psychological damage Israel is causing everybody in Gaza, especially the kids, is unforgivable. Should not, cannot, and must not be forgotten. Is there an invasion on the ground? Is that really what's happening? What happened yesterday is that the Israeli army hit out a rumor that there will be a land invasion and started bombing the houses, started bombing the infrastructure, the roads with over 100 war planes, all made in America, pouring hellfire on the heads of Palestinians with hundreds and hundreds of missiles and shells that destroyed the infrastructure and everything. Uh, so far, there is no land invasion, but everything is expected. If Israel starts a land invasion, it means, again, we're going for more massacres we're going for possible ethnic cleansing here in Gaza. What do you feel when you hear President Joe Biden talk about Israel's right to self-defense? Paul, it was cynical yesterday that uh, he uh, that Biden tweeted that he and Jill uh, send uh, their Eid greetings to the Muslims around the world. And everybody said, no, thank you. We received your uh, greetings for the Muslim Eid by the missiles, by the massacres. And what's the way out of this? The way out of this is to pressure Israel into ending its occupation. This is not just a matter of aggression here in Gaza and siege. There is ethnic cleansing in Jerusalem, in Sheikh Jarrah and other areas. There's ethnic cleansing taking place in Betah and in Ramallah in Hebron. Even in Palestinian cities occupied in 1948, Israel is now unleashing the Jewish Zionist terrorists on its quote-unquote Palestinian citizens committing pogroms, destroying Palestinian 
properties and businesses and lynching Palestinians. The Palestinians have always called for peaceful means. Boycott Israel, stop funding Israel, sanction Israel. And that's why the, the call for BDS is significant. America, Europe, Germany, the UK, France need to stop enabling Israel and empowering it and giving it the weapons and the money to kill indigenous Palestinians and occupied Palestine. If the world doesn't want to do this, then everybody is complicit. And that's Rafat Alarir. He's a professor of English. He spoke with WBAI from his home in Gaza City. BDS is Boycott, Divestment, Sanctions of Movement uh, Against the Settlers Who Are uh, expanding into the West Bank and te- other territories uh, where Palestinian people are living. And in national news, the cyber extortionist group DarkSide appeared out of business today after unknown actors shut down the servers of the group, which had forced the closure of a large United States oil pipeline in a multi-million dollar ransomware scam. It's suspected that the U.S. military cyber command took action, pointing to the Twitter account of the Pentagon's 780th Military Intelligence Brigade, a hacking unit that retweeted reports of DarkSide's internet demise soon after they were made. Asked in a congressional hearing Friday if his group was taking action against DarkSide, Cyber Command's General Paul Nakasone said he would not discuss the unit's operations. General Nakasone added the threat from cyber attacks, cyber attacks is real. Well-resourced and sophisticated adversaries are exploiting gaps in the nation's ability to monitor U.S. cyberspace infrastructure while conducting operations from within the boundaries of the United States. The United States government, in tandem with industry partners, must improve its defensive posture to prevent and or minimize the impacts while contesting and defeating those who would exploit such vulnerabilities and target American companies and citizens. U.S. Cyber Command conducted more than two dozen operations to get ahead of foreign threats before they interfered with or influenced our elections in 2020. I am proud of the work the command and the election security group performed as part of a broader government effort to deliver a safe, secure 2020 election. The cyberspace environment has changed significantly over the past years, even over the past 14 months. We've seen a tremendous difference in the environment. Adversaries are demonstrating a changed risk calculus. They desire to take on the U.S. in cyberspace below the level of armed conflict. U.S. Cyber Command must continue to adapt, innovate, partner, and succeed against such adversaries. General Paul Nakasone is commander of the nation's cyber defense operations. Meanwhile, another group called Babuk continued to release sensitive online files stolen from the Washington Metropolitan Police Department. It's demanded a seven-figure payout from the main security body of the U.S. capital city. The information released by the group to underscore its ransom demand includes D.C. police intelligence files and uh, an officer's disciplinary records. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. The trial of environmental lawyer Stephen Donziger uh, is on hiatus today. The prosecution, not the usual state actors, but a private law firm hired by New York Southern District Federal Court because the Department of Justice wanted no part of the prosecution, finished up its case yesterday with the defense scheduled to make their case on Monday. The trial over a federal misdemeanor charge of criminal content, contempt is before a judge but with no jury. The prosecution lawyers are being paid $10,000 a day. Donziger caught the ire of the Chevron Corporation by pursuing
arguing a case against the oil giants, accusing it of poisoning the indigenous people of Ecuador by spilling oil into the environment. The judgment against the company was $9.5 billion and has caused Chevron to hide its assets from the Ecuadorian government. Donziger's lawyer, Ron Kuby, is well known to New Yorkers. He says the prosecution is about Chevron getting revenge. Ron Kuby is the attorney representing environmental lawyer Steve Donziger fighting for his freedom in a New York federal court. And United States House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has called for an ethics inquiry into what she calls verbal assaults by GOP Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, who accused New York Democrat Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of supporting terrorist groups, specifically Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Ocasio-Cortez says Greene reminds her of the kind of person she used to throw out of bars. In a clip, Greene is heard threatening Ocasio-Cortez. She better show up. If she chickens out, then she shows exactly who she really is, a scared little girl that is pretty stupid and doesn't know anything about the economy or economics. Later, speaking to reporters, Green maintained she was the victim and not AOC. The Democrats are the party of aggression and violence. We have AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, publicly and on their social media and speaking on the House floor supporting Hamas terrorists who are attacking Israel with rocket fire after rocket fire and they're supporting the terrorists. They're also supporting Antifa and BLM terrorism all over the country. And then I get harassed by the press every single day about January 6th. And I've said the entire time, literally starting on that day during the riot, how much I'm upset by it, how much I'm against it, and, and how appalled at it that I am. I was a victim of it as well. But according to the Washington Post, Green has repeatedly confronted AOC approaching her on the House floor. And in a video recently discovered on the Internet, before she was elected to Congress, Taylor Green and friends went up to the door of Ocasio-Cortez's office and intimidated the staff members working inside by shouting through the mail slot. Guys, this is the way we talk to Ocasio this, right here. So if you want to talk to crazy... Hey, yeah, you need to get down to her level. You're right. <laughs> if, yes. If you want to talk to crazy Ocasio, you come to this little thing and you open it up and you whisper confession into her. Confession This is confession. <laughs> This is, this is Ocasio confession right there. That's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I'm an American citizen, and I do not support your socialist policies, and I do not support your murderous abortion policies. As a mother of three children, I'm appalled at New York's law for abortion, and it needs to end, and it needs to stop now. You're bringing God's judgment on our country, and I'm against it, as well as my friends. So you need to stop being a baby and stop locking your door and come out and face the American citizens that you serve. If you want to be a big girl, you need to get rid of your diaper and come out and be able to talk to the American citizens instead of us having to use a flap, a little flap. It's kind of like her. She's kind Sad. of flappy. She's like, she keeps flapping her gums. This oh, is like, flappy, this flappy. Is, yeah. Okay, well, oh, each this, one of this, this, is this is like child games. This is, this is child games. Marjorie Taylor Greene in a video showing her and some friends harassing workers of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. 
network of conservative activists aided by a British former spy mounted a campaign during the Trump administration to discredit perceived enemies of President Trump inside the government. That's according to documents and people involved in the operations. The campaign included a planned sting operation against Trump's national security advisor at the time, H.R. McMaster, and secret surveillance operations against FBI employees aimed at exposing anti-Trump sentiment in the Bureau's ranks. Central to the effort, according to interviews, was Richard Seddon, a former undercover British spy who was recruited in 2016 by the security contractor Eric Prince to train Project Veritas operatives to infiltrate trade unions, Democratic congressional campaigns, and other targets. He ran field operations for Project Veritas until mid-2018. Prince's sister, Betsy DeVos, was Secretary of Education under Trump. The New York Times reports Seddon trains operatives at the Prince family ranch in Wyoming. The cast of characters includes Barbara Ledeen, wife of Michael Ledeen, a well-known right-wing activist and former National Security Council member. Barbara Ledeen was once a staff member on the Senate Judiciary Committee, then led by Senator Charles Grassley, Republican of Iowa. The scheme involved the plan to hire a woman armed with a hidden camera to capture McMaster, making inappropriate remarks that his opponents could use as leverage to get him ousted as national security advisor. The story, activists and ex-spies said to have plotted to discredit Trump's enemies in government, is on the New York Times website. And finally, Brooklyn is home to the largest Haitian population in the United States outside of Florida. Brooklyn has more than 90,000 Haitian-Americans, the third highest concentration in the United States. An estimated 190,718 Haitians live in New York State, with 156,000 living in the city, according to the American Community Survey. Haitians in America will be celebrating their blue and red flag, the flag of one of the oldest nations in the Western Hemisphere. Life of Hope Center presents its 10th annual Haitian-American Heritage and Flag Day celebration called Aite Nula Tuju in collaboration with the New York Haitian Consulate's office. The celebration includes a parade and Haitian Cultural Affairs Festival, performing arts showcase, and local vendors. Porez Luxama is a spokesperson for the group. The event is Aisin Ratujus happening at 1377 Booking Avenue between Foster Ave and Newkirk. You cannot miss it. This is where the event is going to happen tomorrow at 12 p.m. What is it about? The event is Aiti Ratujus. is the, is the movement to celebrate the Haitian flag day and the Haitian heritage here in New York City, especially in Brooklyn, where is the heart of the Haitian community in New York City. We must have this event again to celebrate our culture and to come together to celebrate our flag. Is this event a celebration or is it a partisan political event? It is a celebration of our heritage and our flag. It's not a political event. It's something we do every year. We have multiple partnerships with the city, the state agency, and then other CBOs we work with and local leaders. We always do this event every year to celebrate our heritage. What's the significance of the Haitian flag and its history? The Haitian flag, as you know, like in 1803, like we have a lady who stood the flag. She was a nurse. Haitian was the first in this hemisphere, in this new world, the first black uh, republic. We fought many wars. At the beginning, the flag was red and black. Black was still for black, for and the West was still for blood because well, we fought the first people and then they make the transition to red and blue because they feel like the blue was when we moved the white because the French has the white, we moved the white. We go back again in the valley time, the 60s with the red and black again. But in 1986, after AK called the Second Republic, and then we came back again with 
the blue and the red. So from one generation to the next generation, the red and the blue, we have to celebrate our flag, our heritage here. Why the strong connection to the homeland? The reason we are so close to our culture, like an, is a history is being taught at early age. Like in a sense, we support it. Again, we have black women, we have black senators, we have black congressmen, black history. So the history being taught to us at early age. So therefore, is now soul, is now roots. Any age, 10, 5, 6, 7 years old, is already in us. So it's hard, like, you know, to remove the roots. Thank you for having me, Paul. I'm looking forward to for you to have you to come to celebrate, have the flag. Come to eat our food, see our art, see the families, see the community as well here. The vision starts at 11. We're going to walk to 1377 Brooklyn. We should be there by 1230. And then, then we're going to have the food. We're going to have the music. We're going to have local leaders. We're going to have, like, again, performances. And it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful event. I cannot wait for tomorrow. We're at the stage. We're at the lighting. Everything is ready for tomorrow. And that's Porez Luxama. He's a spokesperson for the 10th Annual Haitian American Heritage and Flag Day Celebration at the intersection of Toussaint Louverture Boulevard, that's Nostrand Avenue and Clarendon Road, with a showcase at 1377 Brooklyn Avenue. And that's some of the news for Friday, May 14, 2021. The news is produced by Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo.